physical media and entertainment from the silver screen to the palm of your hand. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of From Screen to Shelf. My name is Will. I am joined by Gabe and Chase. We are back from a short hiatus. We took yeah. a week off Thanksgiving to replenish ourselves and recover from our uh, our hangovers, our turkey hangovers. So, <laughs> Carb comas. Yeah, carb comas. We're here today to discuss the Yeah, we're awake somewhat, slowly getting there. But we're going to discuss the state of cinema. We're going to talk about movie theaters and and whether or not they're ever going to make a comeback after COVID, after the effects of streaming kind of taking place now over the course of the last, I guess we could say two or three years, right, since COVID. So, yeah. yeah. And whether or not um, a lot of these big studios can kind of recover from this kind of rut that they're in right now with, with major releases just not performing up to par uh, like they were before before COVID. So we're going to get right into it here, and we're going to talk about all the big movies that have come out recently, Indiana Jones, Napoleon, uh, Wish, I believe, Chase. We're going to start off with that. But we're going to get into it right here. I'm going to hand it over to Chase. He's going to get us started here. So, Chase, let's uh, let's open it up. Yeah, I want to open it up with like the biggest topic that's on pretty much everybody's mind right now because it's the freshest example, right? Of course, we have more we're going to talk about, but Pixar hardly fails. You know, um, it's a tried and true formula whenever it comes to Pixar. You can always count on their their artistic expression, a good story. And I think that's probably where to segue with what we're talking about with Wish where they're falling. Um, so I personally, uh, Gabe, Will, I don't think either of you guys went and saw Wish, or unless you guys went to the midnight premiere. I went <laughs> like first screening, bro. What are you talking about? <laughs> so yeah, like uh, you can always count on, except this time. And I mean, there's been a couple examples. I want to say Strange Worlds was another one by Pixar that kind of bombed, but that was like kind of the first little, whoa, what's going on for them? Um, on a 200, 175 to $200 million dollar, estimated budget for wish which is a newer pixar film that just came out november 8th or november 22nd i apologize that was the premiere was november 8th on november 22nd so it's had about two weeks going into its theatrical and about a week and a half approaching steadily currently as of filming it is sitting at a global box office of 81.6 million dollars and yeah Yeah. that is rough (laughs) that is mega rough so to, to talk about that and to segue into the state of cinema and why, of course, it's not all doom and gloom. Let's preface that real quick because you had Avatar, you had Top Gun Maverick, which a lot of people, you know, it's a constantly evolving type of conversation. But just because one or two movies out of hundreds do well doesn't change the 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 potential steadfast approach that people prefer possibly streaming and watching their films at home rather than going to the theaters, Right. So the problem that we're hearing based on some certain reviews and some user-reviewed comments on Metacritic is that it's extremely generic, extremely generic, right? They're kind of counting on this tried-and-true formula that they feel like would get butts in seats and stuff like that. But the thing is, is things have to evolve. People, our taste, everything evolve. Um, Horror is a good example. You know, the dark ages of horror wasn't that long ago in the grand scheme of things. The 2000s was a dark period for horror. Now horrors had a big resurgence with things like Hereditary, Scream coming back, The Witch, things like that. Uh, Midsummer, like the banner right behind me, right? So like there's been a huge increase in what people like and a huge uh, evolution, right? It changes. It changes yearly. It changes every decade, every five years. 
So whenever you talk about things like Wish, whenever it's Pixar, and it's pretty much guaranteed to get them about 500 to 600 million, especially since they had that grandiose taste of success with Frozen 1. Uh, I don't know if Frozen 2 did the same numbers, but I remember everybody talking about it as well, right? But it kind of leads me into a talk track about cinema as well. Where it comes into, and you can even talk about the Marvel fatigue episode that we did as well, where it talks about what is going on and do these people really know what we want, right? Um, Moana came out not too long ago, and that was a huge success for them. And Kanto, as far as I was aware, was not a box office success, but it was a streaming success per Bob Iger with what he said. Mm. The biggest thing, and I feel like where they might be out of touch with the audience, we don't want – mediocrity with what's being reported about wish right and then also frozen's not that old moana's not that old why has there already been live action adaptations of both of those films already announced you know what mm-hmm. i mean that's not getting really anybody i didn't excited. even know that you didn't, I didn't know even that? know that and that is i feel like that's, that's way too insane soon. exactly yeah, that's like, insane like a lot of comments i was reading a lot of things on the discord whenever that was coming up one of the best talk tracks i heard about that was Snow White, Cinderella, all of those make sense because those are things that multiple generations have grown up with, right? Mm-hmm. Two or three different generations have grown up watching it. It's, it's embedded in our memories. We watched it a lot as kids, and that's what Disney was known for. But they aren't necessarily putting out things outside of Moana. Coco I heard great things about. Unfortunately, I didn't get to go see it. Soul looks amazing, and that's on my list of things to watch. But that doesn't necessarily mean these things are going to stand the test of time as much as they were a product of the time that they were released, right? Mm-hmm. So when it comes to Wish, I, there's really not much else I can say. I didn't go see it. Um, I know people that went and saw it, and nobody has anything other than potential 5.5 out of 10 type of comments to say. It's average. It's mediocre at best. It doesn't take risks. It doesn't do anything new. It doesn't do anything fun. It, you get in there, and you get exactly what you expect, a Disney Pixar movie. You know, yeah, um, yeah, that's not exciting. And the numbers can show right on an 81.6 million box office performance against a $200 million budget. The general rule of thumb, uh, Gabe, well, we were talking about this before we rolled. You need to make double, most likely triple of that to actually start making gross profit. Right. So mm-hmm. that means when they made this movie that they were expecting it to do north of $600 million. Right. They were banking on this being a huge success. Yeah, it's just to start a, making money, six hundred million. Just to start making money, exactly, six hundred million yeah. is like the the threshold to start making profit. Yeah, and that's wild. So then the thing is, is on this right here at eighty one point six, it starts posing the question: How much money do these people have to lose before they start getting in touch with the audiences? Right. Um, Bob Iger recently came out and made a comment and said that not enough executives are on set or overseeing it or they're trying to be too broad with their storytelling, trying to be too inclusive. Well, there's a lot of problems with that loaded statement, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, Disney's always been known for taking risks, being inclusive, you know, drawing in audiences, Black Panther, for example, targeting different demographics whenever it comes to like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves targeting demographics. As far as I'm aware, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves was kind of one of those things to get everybody involved into it, all shapes and sizes of people, right? It was kind of like their message, you know, Mm -hmm. the Seven Dwarves, right? And then you have like love stories like Cinderella, Beauty and the Beast, which is about appearances and stuff like that. You know, you love who you love, not what you see, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Just stuff like that. So that that, that is such a out-of-touch statement, right? And to especially say that about the Marvels, 
when in reality it's just you haven't done anything exciting right um and i'll let one of you guys segue into like killers of the flower moon and the more broader uh cinema aspect i just really wanted to touch base on that because i find that pretty wild that a pixar movie is going to bomb this hard that is crazy that is crazy. Well, I just ask not... you a question. Do we know ahead, if Wish well. is that is that set for streaming or is that only theatrical right now? I'm just curious. So it's not. It, it's it's definitely gonna come out on streaming. You know, the D plus. It comes out a couple weeks before the physical media release. All of that, right? Um, but yeah. this isn't one of those ones like Killers of the Flower Moon and Napoleon, which I'm sure we'll touch on here very soon. Where like those are Apple originals that got a theatrical run to help bolster sales, right? Yeah, right. And those yeah. are underperforming, and I feel like for good reason because people know that they can see it at home, right? Mm-hmm. People know they can see this at home, and maybe that's why it's hurting it as well because you have Disney Plus. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a great yeah. question to pose. It's Even February, by the way, I just looked it up. Oh, when this one's going to come out on streaming? Yeah, it's gonna bro- yeah, okay. seb- uh, February seventh. That's a lot of time. So absolutely that that's, that's unappealing, you know, but it's, and it's, I mean, to be honest though, I mean, that's not like what it used to be, right. Where, I mean, when we just had theatrical releases and then we'd wait for the physical release, sometimes that was like six to eight months, Mm -hmm. like back in the day, like, you know what I mean? Like, like, so like two months mentally for people, that's, that's nothing. That's like, Oh, we'll just wait for February to come and we'll watch it on streaming. Yeah. Because there's always things coming out. There's going to be something else to bide your time. You know, whatever came out two yeah. months ago, to your point, is coming out now. I'm going to watch that instead. Yeah. And I think that Disney doesn't – I think the problem with Disney is, I mean, kind of like what you mentioned, Chase, with Iger's statements. I, I think they're really just not in touch with what people are wanting. I think that they've kind of relied on the same formula. Like, you know, they, they – I think what made Pixar so innovative was not, I mean, obviously the animation at the time that was really innovative, but like with Toy Story and all that, but I think it was the stories they were telling. They were like really unique stories and people were really invested in those stories. And now Disney, instead of looking at it as like we we were telling good stories, they were like, oh, it's because it's an animated movie. Like just throw money at an animated budget. Keep, you know, it's a Pixar movie. People are going to go see it just because it's a Pixar movie. And that's not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. Like Pixar has really, it, it's it's just kind of like, I know what to expect with a Pixar movie now. It's not anything that surprises me. Don't get me wrong. There are some here and there that I think still really do well and they still shine. What was that one with the feelings, with the four different feelings and the inside out? The girls had, inside out. I loved inside out. out. I thought that was a great movie. Um, but I mean, it, it, they're starting to become just kind of this like repetitive, thematic kind of thing. Like it, it's, I know what to expect, and I, I think that's where Disney's losing touch. Is they just kind of look at it as like let's throw money at a Pixar budget. And we'll make that money back. But people are tired, kind of like what we talked about with the Marvel fatigue or superhero fatigue. I know we had a kind of like discussion and debate about that, but I think people are tired of just the same old stories, just mm-hmm. the same old, you know, like I wish, I don't know what it's about. I'm assuming it's probably about some princess that, you know, like everyone doubts wish. her and then, and then, yeah, and then she <laughs> overcomes and yeah, it's just, you know what you're getting into. Yep. And I, I think that's boring. I think people are tired of it and why not wait for streaming? You're already paying ten bucks a month for Disney Plus. Why not wait for it to come out in two months? Mm-hmm. Um, but I know, and I know we could use that to kind of segue into all these other movies. I think streaming and the way these studios have utilized streaming—that's one of the biggest problems—is they're they're putting these releases. And I, I honestly do blame Warner Brothers a lot for this, with the whole HBO debacle that happened when COVID hit, where uh, Will and I were talking about this earlier, where. 
I, I don't remember all the movies they did this with. I know like Matrix 4, that came out the same day. Like you had, I think maybe Suicide Squad 2 that yep. came out the same day. Dune, I think it was like maybe like, what was it? They said like in a week or two that they would release they it waited. after. It's the, yeah, that was the yeah one but it was like waited. two weeks. It was, yeah. I mean, it wasn't yeah, anything it wasn't like, long. it wasn't long. So it's, it's, it's like, why, why would people go? to the movie theater to go. I mean, yeah. we we want to see it theatrically just cuz we're obviously in the very small minority where we're like, you know, we we love cinema, we love film, we love the theatrical experience, but a lot of people don't care about that. No. They just want to see the movie. So, why would you release a movie the same day or within two weeks. And when you've done that repetitively, because I think Warner Brothers did it for a whole year, if I remember correctly. They had announced like, yep, so they were going to do it for 12 months. So as soon as you did that, you've already set a precedent that people have already kind of acclimated to and adjusted to. So now it's Mm -hmm. like, well, screw it. Now I can just watch all my movies within a week or two of theatrical release. Why go? And also with kind of a lot of the socioeconomic stuff that's been happening the past three years, it's expensive to go to the movie theater. No, I mean, exactly. the, the popcorn, the tickets that, you know, like, especially if you have kids, I mean, you're spending north of 50, 60, 70 bucks just to go to the movie theater when you can pay $10 to watch it on streaming. So Everybody. that's going to turn people, yeah, yeah. it's going to turn people away. So I, I think it's really set this kind of bad precedent. Um, I mean, there, there's so many different variables involved, but I think at least for me, that was definitely the turning point with, with Warner Brothers and HBO Max and, the way they started releasing those films. And I think other studios took, I, I don't know why they took a similar approach. Disney, I think Disney started doing it with, I think, um, didn't Scarlett Johansson get into a legal, uh, Black battle with Disney, Black Widow, right? Cause yeah, she, Black the, Widow. cause of, you know, it was released on streaming and it took away from the box office returns, which she was supposed to get a percentage of. So I'm like, why would you do that? Yeah. You just heard like, your why? stars. Yeah. You hurt your stars, but you also, I mean, to me, I, I don't know the socioeconomic or the, the economics, excuse me, of, of streaming. Like, like you can't be making more off of the stream than the theatrical release, at least mm-hmm. for something like Black Widow. Because to me, Black Widow, everyone knows Black Widow. Everyone knows Scarlett Johansson. People are going to go see that theatrically. But as soon as yeah. you say, hey, we're going to have it in two weeks, uh, <laughs> why go to the movie th- theater at that point? Yeah. Oh, that's it's, a great point. Like, just think about it. Like, cause that's actually what I was holding on to say. And cause you just triggered a thought. It's like, that's my thing. Like, I mean, of course it's just me. So if I go to the movies, like whenever I go see Godzilla, it's $9 and 74 cents for the matinee. Right. Mm-hmm. But depending on the day, it can be as much as 17 to $18. Right. right. Oh my God. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, especially for like an AMC and then let's say I get hungry, I get thirsty um, you're looking at $40 just for me to go out as little as 30 if I just pay $10 for the ticket. But like you said, you know, the couple with a potential two kids, one to two kids or even bigger, right? Mm-hmm. And you're going to go out there and see that that's a hundred to $200 outing because your kids are going to want to see the candy in there. And that candy's overpriced out the wazoo. It's like, well, four, that's why you bring bucks. the food in yourself. Man. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so like Sneak it just adds up. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, like if I can pay $10, cook at home you know to, mm-hmm. if, if you take in the cost of the subscription for your your streaming service and it's 9.99 i know disney plus was 6.99 at one point but i think it just went up to 10 taking the cost of that subscription cost of whatever it costs to feed yourself you have the ability to pause it if somebody needs to go to the bathroom you can go and do this it's just a mega different convenience right so yeah it's, it's just night and day and, and you know like the pandemic made people hold on to their money a lot tighter 
right? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't blame people with that approach, and I agree with that approach 100% of the way. I don't really see yeah. a lot of families going unless it's a holiday. Like when I went to go see Thanksgiving, of course, families weren't going to go see Thanksgiving. But there were a lot of movies that were out at that point that a lot of people were there on Thanksgiving Day to go and see, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I want to, I do want to say and emphasize, like, I, I, I definitely don't blame people for doing that, right? Like, if you want to see it on streaming, you know, see it on streaming. That's yep. your money. You know, you, you get to make the decision. But I, I, I guess I get frustrated when I hear the studios complain, like we're not making our returns and it's like, well, you guys already kind of set this weird precedent with streaming and the way you're releasing your movies theatrically. Um, you, you could have kept doing what you were doing. I know the pandemic was a strange time, but, um, yeah, I, I, I it's just kind of this weird precedent. I feel like they put themselves in. Mm-hmm. They never you, really, um, they never really, yeah, I have a few different points, but to piggyback off of what Gabe said, it's like you said, I think they've conditioned people into believing that this is how things are going to be regarding releases. So it's like you said, well, why am I going to go to the theater when I know it's going to be on streaming in a month? Well, I'll just mm-hmm. wait a month and save my money and just watch it on streaming for a lower cost. Um, so that's one thing that I think is a problem. I think during COVID, it made sense because, uh, you know, people were trying to be safe. We were trying to be, you know, understanding and aware of like the dangers that existed with COVID and and Mm -hmm. group settings and all that. And that, that all made sense for the time. I just never think they transitioned out of that appropriately, right Mm -hmm. back to what it was before. Now, obviously COVID had an impact on people psychologically where there are some people that maybe went to a movie theater before COVID and now they're not going to do that again, just like they wouldn't go to a crowded restaurant again. And I, I know people that still think that way. Mm -hmm. So you know, there's always going to be a segment of the population that's affected by something to a degree that they are going to change their lifestyle habits. They are going to change how they go about doing things. And, and that, that falls into that. So we have to take that into account. But I think the majority of people like post COVID, like, I don't know if anybody's like me, like I was sick of COVID, you know, after the first year of it, I was done. I was ready to go back to normal. You know, I wanted to go to movie theaters again. I wanted to go out to bars and restaurants and hang out and, you know, be with friends and acquaintances and family. And so, I just think they have to find a better way to market these movies. I think the approach of trying to release it theatrically and then saying, well, it's also going to be available on streaming, you know, three or four weeks from now, it's, it's not working. It's It's not working. And if I could get into a little bit of, and we talked about this with the Marvel episode with, when we talked about streaming and physical media, I guess we could say, um, it's the dynamic of streaming is obviously different. The revenue stream is structured differently. We talked about this before where with theatrical releases, you know you're, you're getting your revenue right from the theater. You're getting it right from the box office. You're getting it right from that run. With streaming, it's kind of weird because it's kind of spread out across your subscriber base, right? So, and, and I don't know the specifics of how that works, but what I do know, and I think we can kind of make this assumption based on how things have been performing and, and what's going on, is that they're bound to make more of their money back if they keep things in theaters as opposed to doing this thing where it's like it's going to be in the theater for a month and then it's going to be on streaming. You can watch it whenever you want. I I think they need to delay that a little more. I think they need to focus more so on marketing these movies exclusively for movie theaters. And I wouldn't even mention the streaming aspect of it. Mm -hmm. If they want to capitalize on that box office, if they really want to focus on making the most money possible with some of these movies, especially the bigger budget ones. And we're going to get into that with like Indiana Jones and killers of the flower moon. I just think they need to have a more focus a more focused approach to marketing 
solely on on movie theaters and that experience, right? Movies like Top Gun, movies like Avatar, we know those movies are going to make money. Top Gun kind of came out of nowhere. It just it, it it turned into this word of mouth kind of yeah. thing, and we can all agree. I think Top Gun Two was or Maverick was a sequel that nobody expected to be as good as it was. Mm-hmm. But we all heard from the beginning, no, Tom Cruise does not want this movie on streaming. They're saving it for the theater. That was their whole marketing aspect yeah. from the beginning. Even when they delayed it, that was their whole reason was like, no, this movie deserves to be seen in theater and it's going to be worth the wait. We heard that from the beginning. Once yeah. we started getting news of the delays because of COVID and obviously for good reason. And when that movie finally came out, it took off, you know, it was word of mouth and, and a really great marketing campaign. I mean, that that's an example of, of how to do that now. I mean, yeah, the marketing for that movie, I'm, I'm sure was costly, astronomical, mm-hmm. but I think it's a good example of how to approach it. Avatar was obviously going to be big. I, I don't know what the returns were, uh, were for way of water, but it, those movies are kind of like event movies. I just think they have to take more of that approach and kind of make it an event. If you make it more of an event, then people are going to go see it. Now, obviously you can't do that for every film, Mm-hmm. But I just think they have to structure their approach and and kind of select which movies are going to do that for you know and there's there's like two or three movies a year that studios put out that maybe make a lot of money and the rest of them really don't and it's been that way before it's just that today with the cost of these budgets with these budgets being hyperinflated it's just much harder to do that um, yeah. and I want to also just touch on I guess before we move on that yeah i agree with the the whole mediocrity thing too with with things feeling generic with things feeling there's like there's nothing unique anymore that really grabs your attention and that's also part of the problem and i don't blame the studios for doing that because they're what they're trying to do is really hold on to the one thing that they think is going to make them the most money right if we market this to everybody and we try to make this something for the masses right yeah, the end result is it's it's going to be a generic story because they're trying to appeal to as many people as possible and and make the most returns on that on that product. But at the same time, I think it's inherently the problem that they're experiencing. It's why they're not making money because people are starting to catch on to that. And I think, like you guys are saying, people are just tired of it. Mm-hmm. So it, it, they're in an interesting predicament because I think. And we can talk about uh, Godzilla uh, in a bit, but I think Godzilla is an example of what we need to see more of. Um, and I think I think we need to see more studios take those risks and maybe minimize some of these budgets and try experimenting with that moving forward to see if it works. Because that is a movie that I think it should be shown in executive boardrooms across the country. I just, in terms of, of Hollywood, right? I, I just think that is a perfect example of how to take a small budget and make something meaningful, make something that resonates with audiences, and, and just a, a film that's really well-written, well-acted, mm-hmm. well-done. The VFX, are all, everything about that movie just blows my mind. And we can get into that in a bit, but I just think they have to take a different approach. You know, yeah. $200-plus million for a movie that's only going to make, like in the case of Wish, $81 million. I mean, that's, that's not sustainable. Yeah. So they really need to change their approach and find a different way to resonate with audiences and market these movies differently. And I, I think it's a bit of what we talked about with Marvel as well. I think we're seeing that with all kinds of genres. I just don't, I don't think it necessarily matters what kind of movie it is. I think specifically with the superhero genre, we had that whole debate about whether it's superhero fatigue. I think that genre is suffering more so than others just because we've seen so many of those films. 
right? Mm-hmm. More so than any other movie. They're just released at such a higher frequency that the burnout effect takes place faster. But at the same time, I, I think it's a problem in general with just generic storytelling. I just think with the amount of content that's out there today, people see more of the same thing. Like naturally, you're going to want to seek out something different. Eventually, you're going to be like, no, I've, I've seen this before. I want something else. I want something unique. I want something that's going to resonate with me, something that I haven't seen, right? So yeah. uh, I just think they need to follow that and be more in tune with, with audiences and, and understand that people are starting to go in that direction. So. Those are my and, thoughts. And you, uh, something else, because I know we're going to get into uh, Killers of the Flower Moon and Napoleon, mm-hmm. which though both of those movies, I think they're both Apple. Apple. Uh, yep. Yeah, Apple yeah. produced movies. So it, it, it's also a weird dynamic, too, when you have Netflix does it, too, obviously, like they did with um, Glass Onion and uh, uh, Don't Look Up and all these other movies where it's like they're the ones that are actually producing it. They're a streaming service. And mm-hmm. a, a big thing with their movies, it's like, you know, we'll have it in theaters for a week or two weeks. and But they're like $200 million budget <laughs> movies. As if that's going to like, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I don't understand that. So, I mean, if you look at, I mean, Killers of the Flower Moon, budget $200 million. Um, it's made, I guess, globally $150 million right now. I mean, to me, I, I don't know the the economics of streaming, but to me, like, at least right now you're under. You're under $50 million um, and because, I mean, you haven't made back your marketing and all that stuff like we talked about. And then Napoleon, I think it's at like $90 million with like a $200 budget around around there so it's and and as soon as you see the trailer where it says apple plus people i think instantly know like okay i can watch that on streaming (laughs) it's like why am i going to wait wait to see that in theaters when it's going to be in streaming and on top of it when you have an issue like napoleon where they said yeah we're going to have an extra hour of footage um for the streaming version um why am i going to go see it in theaters when i can get a whole hour of footage that ridley probably wanted in the movie to begin with but it was probably cut just because of you know, the theatrical release. So I think that it, that's another, I mean, that's a whole other topic probably, but like the actual streaming services starting pr- to produce theatrical movies um, yeah. with big budgets and they're only releasing them for like a week, two weeks at a time, which is bonkers to me. Um, it, it's, it's just, it's just strange, man, because Martin Scorsese is a big name. Ridley Scott's a big name. And, and the fact that, you know, they're releasing yeah. movies and they're underperforming that says a lot. I think kind of like what Will said with you do have like one or two movies a year. I think this year obviously it was the Barbie Oppenheimer thing. I think that I think that was just lightning in a bottle. I think that was just a weird situation where, you know, those two films kind of fed off of each other. Yeah, um, they were memed to death too, and that kind of fed yeah. into the whole craze, right? So I mean we we'll see that every now and then. That happens. It yeah, becomes it like a cultural event, right? And I I I kinda in it's kind of weird for me to say this because you guys know I love Christopher Nolan. I, I disagree with him a little bit when he, he had an interview recently where he said Oppenheimer's proof that people are with <laughs> Oppenheimer's proof that people want to go to the movie theater. I, I, I think I don't think he re, he's a humble dude. I, th- I don't think he realizes how big his name is. You know, when his name's on something, people are going to go see it. You know what I mean? Like it, it's kind of just this rare thing. And, and with Barbie feeding off Oppenheimer, it was just a weird dynamic where everyone was going to the movies for, for, for July. Um, I, I don't see that happening with every other big budget movie. You know what I mean? If someone else tried to do some other, you know, kind of a J Robert Oppenheimer kind of movie, it's not going to be making $300 million like his did. Um, so it, it, it's a weird dynamic. I think they, they need to look at, you know, the stories they're telling their, their budgets. Um, 
and maybe look at A24 because A24 puts out a lot of good movies with a lot yeah. of smaller budgets and a lot of them actually do pretty well. I think, you know, the everything everywhere all at once that was within the past like year and a half. Um, mm-hmm. The whale, um, a whole bunch of other movies that they've released that I think probably have done pretty well with very small budgets. Um, and I, I want to follow up. With, oh, go ahead, Gabe. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say like what you brought up with Godzilla too. I mean, $15 yeah. million dollar budget. Yeah. And we'll talk about Godzilla and what we think. I mean, there's, there's certain, the techniques used in that movie. I mean, just the way it was shot, the way it was filmed, mm-hmm. it's just a perfect example of, of something that feels big budget. that feels larger than life. Like I, I feel like that's a movie that I would see in the heat of blockbuster season in the summer. Yeah. And 100%. here it is. It, we're, it's December 3rd right now when we're recording this, right? It, it's, it, it's, not your typical time frame for a movie like that uh, to be released. Obviously, this has to do with the international schedule and it being a Japanese film, you know, from Toho, but that has a lot to do with the release time frame. But yeah, I mean, that for $15 million, that feels like a $150 million movie, right? And and they, I want to pose this question too, because I mean, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but like with a lot of these more recent blockbusters, like with Indiana Jones, I mean, the the, the budget for that movie was crazy. You Sometimes I watch these movies and I find myself asking, like, where does the money go? Right. And and it's like with with Godzilla, it's like, wow, they really made the most of every penny of this budget. You know, and and the movie is not perfect. It has its flaws. We're not going to get into spoilers, but we'll talk about it in a bit. But it's it's one of those films where I just I was in awe when I, I didn't even know it was 15 million, to be honest. Gabe, I read your review and. I think you mentioned it in your letterbox review and I immediately looked it up. Like there's no way. And I was just, he I was shocked. Like, Gabe's, I, I, Gabe's on drugs. <laughs> yeah, He left out a zero. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure, man. It's just one of those things. It's just like, where, like, where does the money go? And like, are they like throwing money at, at the right things? I just feel like, and, and to piggyback off of what you said with a 24, you know, there was that news several weeks ago. I think it was back in October or, or mid October about, a24 wanting to get into bigger budget movies Mm -hmm. um and i'll preface that like bigger budget for them like as far as their budgets are concerned that doesn't mean they're going to start cranking out like 200 million dollar you know films but i think that'll be an interesting thing to see unfold i'm i'm really excited for that because i'm hoping that once we see the results of that initiative, I'm hoping that that catches on and I'm hoping that other studios look at that as a blueprint and say, okay, well, if they can make it work, because Godzilla is one example, but Godzilla is an international movie. Like internationally, we talked about this before we went live. You know, it's, it's different. Like the Japanese film industry, the international film industry, the cost of making movies is different elsewhere. So we have to factor that into why budgets are different in Europe than they are in America and, you know, more so for, for Asia, right? So that has a, a lot to do with it. But at the same time, I think a company, a U.S.-based company like A24 or production studio in this case, if they're able to, to, to make it work, with a blueprint that other studios can kind of follow, then I think that's going to be good. I think that might be game changing. And I don't want to hype up the A24 thing. I just, they're one of those studios and not that they haven't made movies that are like, not personally for me, you know, I I don't like everything that they put out, but most of the things I've seen from them have been consistently, their quality has been consistent. Yeah. Right. Um, personal preferences aside, they found a way to make it work. So if they can do that with, with bigger budgets, 
and and find a nice middle ground to be able to make movies financially successful in the theater, then I'm I'm hoping that other studios can catch on, and maybe in the next several years we'll start to see that. But I, I think Barbie is a good example. I mean, you talked about Oppenheimer, Gabe. I agree with that regarding Nolan. I I think a lot of people saw that movie because it was Nolan and he's a household name at this point. I mean, he's had, you know, blockbuster after blockbuster. I mean, he's, he's up there with Scorsese at this point. He's up there with Spielberg. Um, I don't think there's any question or, or debate around that, but Barbie is a movie that was also very successful and, you know, kudos to, to Greta Gerwig. I mean, I've seen some of her other films. She's, she's incredibly talented, but Greta Gerwig is not a household name in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. that's an example of a story or a movie that did well where you don't have like a, a star studded cast. I mean, Margot Robbie, obviously she's, she's well known, but Ryan Gosling as well. But I, I don't see them being household names to the point where everybody is, is going to want to go and see it. So I think Barbie is an example of a movie that, that did financially, uh, did well financially, I should say, that isn't the norm. It's not your normal summer blockbuster. And we talked mm -hmm. about that before. Oppenheimer isn't either, but I think hopefully there's starting to be a turning point here where not only audiences are speaking out and, and starting to make their their opinions known, you know, with their wallets, but hopefully on the other hand, like you you made the comment, Chase, about what Bob, uh, Bob Iger said. I mean, I'm I'm hoping that we start seeing more executives show up. I, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, whether or not executives should be on, on sets, but I think if, it, if, if they're trying to make an effort to get a better idea of what audiences want and what works, then hopefully that's a step in the right direction. You know, I don't want to look at it from a negative standpoint. I'm trying to be positive about the whole thing. Oh, so I'm hoping that means that like, yeah, we should be more involved in what's going on as opposed to just sitting in a meeting and just okaying something. And then that's the last, like, you know, something just crosses your desk and it's like, okay, cool. Green light, yeah, it, you know, yeah. check mark, you know? So hopefully that means that they're going to take more initiative and actually start paying more attention to what, to what people are responding to and what, what's resonating with audiences and, and listening to feedback. I mean, I, I'm hoping that that makes some kind of change, but I, I do think the streaming thing is really, that really has to get ironed out. And it's interesting, right? Cause we've had discussions on different things. We've had discussions on physical media and the state of like, you know, physical copies of movies. We've had discussions on the Marvel thing. And it's weird because like streaming kind of ties into all of this, right? It's it's kind of like the elephant in the room where it's just affecting all these different things. Um, I, I still think they just, it, it's going to take some time, but it, I really think they need to iron out what movies are going to save for theatrical runs and what movies are going to delegate to streaming. Because right now they're kind of in this middle ground where it's like, oh, well, you can have your cake and eat it too, but that it's not really working, right? Because I yeah. think, like you said, Gabe, if I know a movie's going to be available on streaming, like Napoleon's a perfect example. Personally, like someone in my position, I'm not going to watch that movie twice. I don't want to watch it for, I don't want to watch a three hour cut and then watch a four hour yeah, cut. And like, oh, okay, this is the cut. I'm just going to watch the four hour cut. I'm not yeah. going to go see the three hour cut in the theater. Especially when you know it exists before. Yeah. Right. You know? And that's yeah. the thing. It's like, well, you kind of just gave away. I mean, it, now it's, see, now it's not working in their favor because someone like me, now I'm not going to see it in the theater. If I know that the four hour cut is the one that the director prefers, then me being, you know, the, the collector and the cinephile that I am, I'm going to want to watch that one. I'm going to want to watch Ridley's version. Mm -hmm. So it's like these things that they're doing, like these marketing things that they're throwing in there, it's just they're kind of like working against them, to be honest, in my opinion. So, yeah.
And I want to pose this as well. Um, I was thinking about it. I don't have enough stats to really back up this claim, but things that kind of tend to come out and do extremely well, um, like uh, Oppenheimer, uh, that's universal, right? It's not Paramount. Yeah. So universal doesn't have a streaming front, right? So you don't know when you're going to get to see it. Like we were all curious when the 4k was going to come out. We weren't sure. You know, well, Nolan was also saying he wanted it in theaters for six months. He, he yeah, made Nolan that part of the charity. agreement. Yeah. Yeah. And see, that, that's awesome because then now you know you've got a cinema experience, stuff like that. And then take some work as, uh, Will, you jogged a, a thought process by bringing up A24 because of the massive success off of a 15. Now, it's been adjusted because they added a lot more advertising after it started getting really good word of mouth. And so the budget went a little bit higher. million budget for everything everywhere all at once with four video effects coordinators that were that was 14 million dollars yeah 14.3 million dollars are you serious i did not know that it made 141.2 million so there's an audience is that billions no but it doesn't need to do billions whenever you don't have a 200 million dollar budget you know that's exactly the point that's exactly exactly the point is if you're not throwing all the money in to begin with yes you don't have to worry as much about your returns. And then you're not only are you able to to not worry about your returns, knowing that, okay, there's a good chance that this is going to do well because we put our money in the right places. You can take more risks. Mm-hmm. You can tell mm-hmm. stories that are that are unique and intricate instead of having to go the generic route. We talked yeah. about this. I don't know if it was on a podcast or not. I don't remember if it was a pre-discussion. But, you know, I, I was talking to somebody and actually – um Gabe, I think, uh, I don't know if we can shout out another creator, but um, Chris Stuckman mentioned this in one of his videos, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I watch his videos time to time. He talked about the state of Hollywood and movie making and how, you know, executives, it's very hard for studios to approve original and new and unique ideas when there's such big budgets behind them because they yeah. don't want to take risks because they need to make their returns at that point, Right. It's not so much that they don't want to do that. They just have to answer to their investors at the end of the day, mm-hmm. right? So I think starting from smaller budgets and, and using that as a stepping stone and as a blueprint moving forward, I think that's the way to go. I think they need to start looking at more initiatives to, to fund projects. Not that they can't have their big budget movies as well, but it's like they obviously have money to, to, to play around with in, in some of these cases. Why not? try something like a24 and and like universal they could they could build a branch that focuses on those kind of movies more intimate you know lower budget movies there's no reason why they couldn't do that by doing that you're already appealing to this uh, a subset of the population because a24 they have their fan base there are people out there that are like diehard a24 fans right it doesn't even matter about the movie it's just the fact that it's a24 so a24 they've established an identity and a brand by doing what they do Small budget. Right. So there's no reason. Value. Exactly. Yep. And there's yep. no re- reason. There's no reason that other studios cannot do that. Right. And, and just well, they make it their own. You know, they market they, it in a way that visually and aesthetically it, it fits their own brand. There's a way to do it. You know, they need to possible. look at their own, their own. I mean, like for Disney, for instance, like, I mean, they need to look at, you know, we brought up Indiana Jones. They need to look at Indiana Jones. They need, and even Paramount with Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning this year. You know what I mean? Like that, that movie underperformed. Um, I think it mm-hmm. it made you know pretty much what the budget was, which is mind blowing because Mission Impossible is a big brand name. It's a, it's a big IP. So I I I think these studio execs, man, they need to start looking like, hey, we've had big IPs that have bombed. 
that they're not doing as well as we thought they were. And I think that's because people are maybe getting tired of just the same old stories. And maybe I, I don't, I don't need a $250 million for a uh, budget for a mission impossible movie. You know what I mean? Maybe there's a way to, to make it work where you're not spending as much. I mean, like look at Oppenheimer, that movie looked like it was like a $200 budget, but honestly, I think it was like 90 million, a hundred million. Um, mm-hmm. You got to these these studios need to work with the budgets they have and set a set a set a boundary with it and try to squeeze as much as they can because honestly someone had brought up a video to me um, in in the Discord I think it was where it was they were looking at special effects from what was it Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest Davy Jones compared to like the CGI of today and honestly Davy Jones looks better and that movie's like freaking almost twenty years old at this point. Which is yeah. mind-boggling to me. Like, you know, Disney is. I, I don't know what's going on with their budgets. Well, you had asked, you'd pose that question earlier. It's like, where's that money going when you have a, a movie that's like 16 years old that's looking better than most of the movies that you're putting out today? Um, right. So they they need to look at where the money's going, and they need to look at the fact that IPs are not a guaranteed uh, way of making money anymore. Just because it's a it's not a popular today. IP. Yeah. Look at Indiana Jones. That's a classic IP. I mean, I went to go see it. I was stoked. It, uh, probably the biggest disappointment of the year for me, but it it underperformed. And I think that's just something that they need to start looking at and and coming to grips with is that they need to start releasing more original content. Otherwise, they're gonna they're gonna further push themselves in a corner where they're gonna get stuck and they're not gonna know what to do. Um, and I like yeah. your idea, Will, of just kind of maybe having each studio have maybe its own kind of subset that's making more kind of smaller budget or independent like i know sony sony has like sony classics don't they or uh, who has vintage yeah, is that sony i i i know sony does sony classics i don't know who does or maybe paramount that's paramount i think right yeah vintage or yeah one of them like i think they it's do have like them. these studios i think they do exist right but they haven't really yeah. been pushing movies out that that much so i right. I think that they really need to look at what A24 is doing. And I think the reason A24 is doing well is not only just because they're smaller budgets, but at least for me as a moviegoer, they're they're just original stories, man. Every time I look at a trailer, I'm like, that looks so unique. That looks so different. I don't know how that yeah. story is going to pan out. It's not like Wish where, you know, I could probably predict the plot right now and tell you what's going to happen at the end. It's it's different. Right. You look at an A24 movie, it's like, I don't know how that movie's going to pan out. I don't know what the story's going to be like, and I'm excited for it because of that reason. Because I can go right. in the movie theater and look at that movie and just be taken away and kind of, you know, you're in this kind of unpredictable journey, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. Every other movie, we, we kind of know. You know what I mean? I think that maybe that's another reason why Indiana Jones and Mission Impossible and all these other big IP movies aren't doing well it's just you kind of you kind of know how it's going to end you kind of know what what's going to happen the good the good guy's going to save the day you know what i mean and you know a24 doesn't really do that sometimes they take these twists and turns or my jaw just drops and i'm like holy crap like you guys literally just did that like with hereditary um so yeah i I think they need to kind of be cognizant and aware of that i big ips do not equal big revenue streams anymore yeah and they need to kind of look at more original stories they have stacks of screenplays that these studios just purchase and warehouse. Like I I had learned recently that American gangster was sitting on a shelf for like freaking 10 years or something like that. And Ridley or someone just pulled it off the shelf was like, yeah, I'll make a movie. I'll make a movie for it. Yeah. And it it, it turns out being a great movie. So these studios have a bunch of screenplays and and stories that they can use. They just shelf them and they don't utilize them. Yeah. And like, I want to also, I want to answer, uh, 
Oh, Chase, I was just going to say, um, yeah, Universal, ahead. I think they do have a streaming service. It's Peacock. So Universal oh, is... Oh, yeah, they do have Peacock. Peacock. I, forget, I forget Peacock yeah. exists sometimes. Well, it's well, great, that though. Was, I was, yeah. That was going to be my point, right? I, I don't think they... I haven't seen Peacock advertised, and I don't see a lot of movies advertised for, like, exclusive streaming on Peacock. Not as much as Netflix they and Apple kills. and the other streaming services for some reason. Yeah. Halloween Kills, kills, right. But yeah. that was same day. It wasn't that nights. day and date release. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, nights. same day. Which I mean so, is yeah. good, like because I wasn't gonna go see Five Nights in, in theaters at all, but I turned it on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like right. the way I like to pose things, right? So like this whole formula, right? Is like I categorize what I'm gonna go see in two categories: a popcorn flick and an intriguing flick. Is how I I categorize mm-hmm. most things, right? If I okay. like see the trailer for Godzilla minus one, wow, this looks kind of different from everything else Godzilla related I've seen. Uh, an A24 trailer, even though the whale looks like the most generic story ever, it's A24. So once I see the logo on there, it's going to be, okay, what are they going to do with this, uh, with the story about this guy, his identity and everything like that? They're going to do something different. I'm going to go in there and I'm not just going to see a character study. I'm going to see something evolve past a character study. Something like Mission Impossible, I know what I'm getting into. Something like, you know, exactly like what you're saying, I passively eat it and – or yeah, passively watch it and passively eat the popcorn while consuming that. Something like X, right? You know, I talk about X all the time because that was my favorite movie of last year. X took something that was tried and true and made it its own, right, with Ty West whenever it came to – um, the way that he does things with Mia Goth and everything like that, then you get something like Pearl, right? So then mm-hmm. Pearl looked pretty generic, but it was Mia Goth's performance that made it so damn captivating, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just made it yeah. feel like something so different. The dialogue, the story, the way it was, the way it was shot and overcoated with Technicolor, everything about that. Like even if I don't get something completely different story-wise, I know I'm going to go in there and get a visual feast on something that's visually different. The way that it was shot the way that it was portrayed to me everything's going to be completely different and that's why i'm a huge fan i'm one of those a24 bros i'm not even gonna lie i'm not gonna yeah. hide it i'm sure you're gonna see an a24 banner back here i mean there's an a24 movie yeah it's a great so, I mean, studio man oh well, yeah I'm halfway Midsommar. there yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's great midsummer was yeah. shout out to that that was a weird ass movie you know super that's weird super different the way it was shot the way ari aster did it it's called also like a shout out to Hereditary as well, Gabe. I, it's not my favorite, you know, but I, I still recognize it as great. You took the story of something exorcist-esque, you know, something mm-hmm. about like in that realm, and you made it something with its own identity to the point where most people have seen Hereditary, you know, or heard about yeah. it at this point for such a small yeah. studio. Even The Witch. I can ask mo- a lot of people uh, about The Witch, and they've heard of it. May not have seen yeah. it, but they've heard of it, right? Um yeah. It's just it's the way that they get word of mouth to do the advertising for them. They drop a trailer. They don't do much past that. And then they let the word of mouth of people like ourselves talk about it and sell itself. Now, do these movies, I think everything everywhere all at once is their second highest grossing. I forget what their highest grossing movie is. It's not her. Or I think it was hereditary up until. It might have been hereditary. Hereditary. Yeah. Yeah. It was hereditary before that. But that movie took like the cinema world by storm when it came out. I remember mm-hmm. you could not have a conversation about movies for a few months when that movie came out. Like, have you seen it? Have you yeah. seen it? 
you know? So I, I think it's just that it's one of those cinematic experiences that you kind of want to see before somebody tells you, Oh, this is what's different about it, you know? Yeah. And that's, what's going to get you to go in there. Like who's going to sit there whenever it comes to mission impossible outside of the way that the stunts are done. That's what gets you to go there mm-hmm. for that. Right. That's what that series right. does differently. Tom Cruise does his own stunts. You mm-hmm. have long sequences for the stunts, you know? That's what gets yeah. you going, right? Um, same thing with Mad Max Fury Road whenever that came out. Um, everything except for the the sandstorms and the, the waterfall scene was completely practical. Tom Hardy's head hanging over the side of one of the rigs, completely yeah. practical. They were driving that rig yeah. with his head two inches above the sand mm-hmm. with um, yeah. Shirley's Theron holding him. Then right after that, you had um, Inside Out that you brought up earlier. That outside of Barbie and Oppenheimer was, I'm sure there's other ones, was like the biggest back-to-back phenomenon I had seen. Everybody was going to go see Mad Max, and then everybody was talking about Inside Out. So you had two different flavors and tastes competing within a very short amount of time of each other for your attention with wholly original stories, right? Um, I mean, I mean, it's not like Mad Max is known for its story. It's really the practical effects, but that is my favorite movie of all time, and that's why because I went in there – and it's the first movie I ever walked out of went back in and purchased another ticket to go see it in 3D. <laughs> yeah, wow. It was great, man. Like, I had to go it's see great, it in 3D. Yeah, it's a freaking phenomenal movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way that it's changing, like the way that we consume it. Um, because then I didn't know when Mad Max would come out on Blu-ray for, mm-hmm. because 4K wasn't around at that point. Um, it was amongst yeah. the first waves, but I didn't know how long I'd have to wait to go see it again. So I'd go and spend right. my money to go watch it as many times yeah. as I wanted to. Um, same with all of that. Yeah. It's just shifted I, so much. I'm going to, I'm going to put myself in a hot seat. Cause I, I know, uh, well, you had, yeah, I know. Right. It's going to be a very unpopular opinion, but like, uh, what's that, what's that, uh, other YouTubers name? Chris, uh, I always butcher his name. Um, Chris Stuckman. Yeah. I, yeah. Chris, Chris Stuckman. Stuckman is, uh, he's a content creator on YouTube. He's, yeah. He good became content. popular good, doing a lot of movie reviews. Yeah, he, yeah. he worked hard, and he's actually a. I believe he's a filmmaker now. I think I don't know mm-hmm. if he's done or he's either still funding think, his first project. I think so. he's finished it. I could be wrong, but um, when yeah. when I watched his video about the you know kind of like the state of cinema, uh, something that bounced out to me, and this is a hot take. I, I think, I think we have to also take responsibility with the way we're consuming movies too, man. I know yeah. I know a lot of people. Yeah. I like I said, I, I completely respect people if they, that. You know, obviously not everyone can afford to go to the movie theater. Not everyone can, you know, spend, you know, 70 bucks to go see a movie. Um, but I think a lot of people have also gotten lazy, man. I mean, it's as simple as that. I think a lot of people are just kind of like, well, I could just stay at home and I don't have to go out. And I think this is a more deeper philosophical argument, but I think as human beings, we have always gravitated towards telling stories together. You know what I mean? And I think that's what, I think the cinema is like this, ultimate culmination of like human beings witnessing and sharing stories together in in a single setting. Right. I mean, we went from, you know, campfires to plays to now like, you know, we have these giant cinemas where we kind of witness things together. And I I think technology, it's just really taking people away from that. I I think people Mm -hmm. don't invest, you know, in, into stories anymore. I think we're just kind of really complacent and we're kind of almost spoiled in the sense where it's just like a screw it. I'll just watch it at home. And I think that that's at the end of the day, that's going to be one of the biggest factors that also, you know, contribute to the downfall of, of theaters. Cause I I can see that happening where these theaters are just kind of, you know, they're, they're begging for people to come. 
yeah. and people aren't going. You know what I mean? Uh, and there's so many different variables that we talked about. It's the streaming, it's the movie studios, it's the budgets. It's But it's also us too. You know what I mean? When I hear people on Reddit just saying like, oh, I'm just going to see it. Like, you know, I have a I have a good sound system and a good TV. I could just watch it at home. It's like, dude, like that's not really a movie you want to watch at home. That's a movie you want to experience yep. with other people. Like with, with yeah. uh, that happened the most with Dune, the first Dune that came out. Everyone's like, I just watch it at home. I'm like, no, that's not, dude, that's like a movie you want to experience. It's, it's not a movie that you just want to watch. You want to experience yep. it. Yeah. And I think people need to take responsibility in doing that and, and kind of, appreciate that these writers these directors these you know stuntmen these producers the every every single person that works on a movie they put so much hard work to cater it to a theatrical experience mm-hmm. that that's how you should watch it and when you're kind of watching it at home you're kind of just taking away from that a little bit and don't get me wrong like you said chase that there's movies yeah for sure that i'm like yeah i'm gonna watch that one on streaming because it's just yeah. not my thing right. but I think if everyone, you know, what, no matter what your movie tastes are, if you just kind of invest a little bit and just say like, yeah, I'm going to go see, a, a, you know, a, a, this movie in movie theater, I think that will go a long way. But I think we've just kind of come, become really lazy and complacent. We just don't go to the movies as much as we used to. I've got a great, not re, it's not really a counter argument, maybe, maybe just a counter thought to that, right? Um, like, as like you said, like, because it, it triggered once you said that, like, as human beings, we have a responsibility for essentially how we consume things and a sense of mm-hmm. ownership, more or less. Right. Also, at the same time, as technology advances and as businesses get bigger, more responsibility gets put on an individual. Right. To go a little mm-hmm. bit off track with movies, but all encompassing. Right. So, yeah. like, um, I'm, I'm a perfect example right now. You know, like there's been times that we have tried to plan things Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. Chase is not available, <laughs> you know, like my Thursday, Friday, Saturdays, which I would love to go see a movie Thursday night. Mm-hmm. But by the time I'm getting off work, the last showing has already stopped. You know what I mean? So then yeah. my one day off is today's, you know, which I dedicate to this. And then if I can squeeze some time in there uh, with everything else I'm trying to catch up on, it's a sacrifice I got to make. But if I have things yeah. I got to do at home, then I can just turn it on. And if it's something like Ant-Man, that's how I watch that. I don't need to sit there and stare at the TV. You know what I mean? I can get right. a little distracted, run over here, do mm-hmm. something, keep it playing, come back, not miss a dang thing. You know, um, yeah. that falls in the category of the popcorn flicks that I was talking about, not an intriguing flick. Mm-hmm. So like right. that one's I'm not going to go put myself into whenever it's, I'm going to sit there for like three hours. I'm like, Oh geez, I got to go home and do this. You know, Oh geez, my phone's blowing up. I got to answer it. So I think it's just like you said, is that there's so much convenience whenever some people, I mean, it's an excuse for some people and not for others where there's just so much we got to do in a day that, you know, I, I didn't realize this and shout out to the server for bringing this to my attention, but there's some people on the server that have to drive upwards of an hour to get to a movie theater. I didn't know that that was a thing. I I thought they yeah. do it, you know, like and, and they, they yeah. do it repeatedly, and they mm-hmm. do it. Um, because where I've always grown up, regardless of where it was at the time, a movie theater wasn't more than twenty minutes at most for me. Yeah. You know, it's almost like a convenience yeah. store. You're gonna find them pretty much mm-hmm. everywhere, from mom and pop to big name chains, right? So I, I think that's really where streaming gets it because like I can come home or like on my remote days from work, you know, I can sit in front of my, my setup, grab my laptop, sit over there, type up paperwork, do reports, stuff like that, and then have my, my movie playing right there and I can get the full experience, right? This mm-hmm. sucks to sometimes have to view movies that way, but sometimes I have to live within the confines of the cards that I'm dealt with. 
And I think some people also kind of think of that whenever it comes to their families, right? Somebody gets mm-hmm. off, you know, um, one of my friends did it. He didn't get to go see Gardens of the Galaxy. So the day it dropped for Disney Plus, he got off work. All right, family, get over here. You know, mm-hmm. um, Gardens of the Galaxy 3 playing live right now the second that it drops and I get home, you know, because rounding up the kids, getting them. And then it goes back to the budget and just getting everybody, yeah. right? So, no, but I mean, I, I definitely agree with it. But to go back to the very first point that you made, Gabe, Warner Brothers really shifted that landscape because that was my biggest worry. Sonic mm-hmm. and uh, Birds of Prey, I think, had three days in theaters before they all got shut down, I want to say. Um, I got to go see Sonic in theaters before the, the- theater shut down. That was the last movie I got to go see. And I had a blast with it. But then very shortly after, it was available for rent um, after it made its money. And then, yeah, there's movies like Sonic and Dolby Cinema. Man, whenever he does his spin dash, it just it gets you going a different type of way in theaters, my man. So (laughs) it's just it's a it's an experience. But, yeah, I I think there's just so many variables and especially like um, work, like the work culture that we have, especially here in America. A lot of the times it can Mm -hmm. be work, work, work. There's people that take really good control of that, you know. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's culture with counterculture at the same time, a yin yang type of system. Right. Um, and yeah. inconvenience is the biggest draw for most people and going to the theaters isn't the biggest convenience streaming is, I mean, you can get a mm-hmm. black Friday, some TVs, 75 inches for $400. Boom. Slap that bad boy up on your wall. All you need is your internet that you already have endless movies, 10 bucks a month, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. and I mean, it's hard to say no, if you aren't a quality advocate like we are you know it's hard to say no to an endless library even if you don't care that it may not be there in 30 days some people only care that they can watch it now you know right so right yeah that, that would be not like i said there's a counter thought to that uh whenever yeah. it comes to that yeah and it's just I, not I realistic it, obviously for everyone to go see a movie you know in the yeah. movie theater but it, i think it's just kind of the the answers in between go, go ahead will no, I was just going to piggyback off of that. I, I agree with both of you. I mean, you know, movie theaters are at least, you know, I've always viewed them as a communal experience. You're not just mm-hmm. going to watch it by yourself. You're going to watch it with a group of people who are, you know, in most cases, strangers, you know, unless you're going with family or friends. But I mean, the most, I guess the most fun I've had at the movies is when I was with friends, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we talked about movies we saw when we were younger. I mean, I, I, can call back to like something like the dark Knight, And I mentioned this movie before, but I mean, one of the reasons I think why that movie resonates so much with me is, is, I mean, obviously it's a great movie on its own. And, you know, I'm a fan of, of Nolan's work with that film. I think it's the best out of that trilogy, not to go off on a tangent about that, but it was just when I saw it, you know, I was in high school at the time, Friday night showing it was in an IMAX sold out. You know, the lines were fucking crazy, dude. Just the the whole atmosphere of that night, like, it just brings me back. I can picture it so clearly in my mind right now. Yeah, like, same. just the scenes in that movie, like, as it played, like, just looking around at everybody else in the theater, and you're just fucking, like, taking that moment in, dude. And, like, that's that's why I go to movie theaters, and you don't get that experience every time, obviously. It depends on the type of movie that you're seeing and whether or not your theater is, is packed or not. But, and that that's varied. I mean, Thanksgiving for me... It was decent. You know, there were a lot of people in Godzilla, which was weird because for the time of day that I went, I didn't expect there to be as many people as there were, but I'm glad that there were because it definitely got a few reactions here and there, especially mm-hmm. with like the, the, the um, you know, the heat beam scenes. Yeah. The atomic breath. I mean, that 
that's one of those things like seeing that in the theater and just hearing people gasp and just at the, like, it was like, that just makes it more of an experience for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that you can't have that experience at home, you know, but there's nothing better than going to see a film that you hope is going to be good. And then not only to have your expectations fucking shattered, but to see that other people are enjoying it as well. It's just, it's different. Like with the dark night, I just remember the energy in that, in that room, in that theater, right? The atmosphere. It's the it's atmosphere, like the dude. And that's that you ride. It, it is. Contagious. And that's, and, and, and people like directors like Tarantino have touched on that, you know, the communal experience of going to mm-hmm. a theater. Like it started with the drive-in, you know, back in the fifties and sixties. And it's kind of continued, you know, today with movie theaters. And I, I think as much as streaming is convenient and there is a significance and a place for streaming, mm-hmm. I don't think that, I wouldn't want to live in a world without streaming because yeah. everything has its benefits. I see a lot of movies. I watch a lot of movies on streaming. Shout out to Tubi. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about Tubi a lot. Um, I don't know if we've talked about it on air, but you know, Tubi's one of those streaming sites that is incredibly beneficial for somebody it's like great. me. It's where I yeah. discover a lot of my the lower budget independent cult exploitation films that I like. Mm-hmm. Tubi's got a wide variety of that. They also have a lot of foreign films. <laughs> Yep, mm-hmm. um, great. Not to plug them. I'm not trying to turn this into a plug for it's Tubi, free. but I'm just it's free, everybody. <laughs> yeah. But, but Tubi's an example of of streaming being beneficial for somebody, whether it's to discover something new that you might want to buy on on physical copy that you're unsure of, or just to 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 watch something just convenient, you know. I don't feel like going out. I'm just gonna sit home and just watch something on Tubi, or you can do that on Netflix or anything else. So streaming has its place. Um, I just think it's a little bit of both. I think movie theaters are are important. I think they're culturally significant, and we should try our best as consumers to support them. You know, mm-hmm. um, even if the cost of like popcorn and soda and all that stuff, it's obviously it's high. It's a lot of money, but I try to do it when I can because that that's how theaters make most of their money. Yeah, is from concessions. So I, I try to go whenever I can. And luckily I've been blessed right now with, with more downtime than I normally have. I've been able to see a lot of movies in the theater, which I'm grateful mm-hmm. for. Um, and you know, some of experience have been okay. Some of them not so good. Some of them have been great. So, um, I think it's important to, to kind of push that. And I don't know if you guys have gotten this, but I, I've seen more so lately. There seems to be, at least from what I'm reading and what I see online and like in person with, with amongst my friends, like there seems to be, this push for people to want to go see and support more independent movies and theaters. Like I I remember seeing it with like Barbie and and Oppenheimer, like as much as there was like a lot of the meme stuff going on and that whole thing, I heard a lot of people saying like, no, we need to go see these movies because they're different and we need to support them to send a message. People are saying the same thing about Godzilla. People said the same thing about Thanksgiving. Like it's especially this year, I've been seeing that message Mm -hmm. reiterated like time and time again. So I do think there is, you know, there's a, there's something more to that that I think we need to 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 be aware of. So yeah, yeah. it's like I think it also comes down to like how much things get thrown in your face. You know what I mean? Like the advertising for Wish, it's everywhere right now. You know, like yeah. you go on Instagram, you're gonna get an ad for it. You know, um, and it's kind of like ugh, another Pixar movie. Like to go back full circle. But then whenever you see right. something like everything everywhere all at once, when it came out last year and the ladies got hot dogs for fingers, it's going to draw your attention. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
yeah. you can just tell when something looks different. Does it always pay off? No, of course not. Everything's not guaranteed or a hundred percent, but I absolutely back you. That's the way I felt about Thanksgiving. You know, I wanted to go see it. I wanted to let them know that there's an audience for this. Thank you for listening to 20 plus years of fans from Grindhouse asking for this trailer to be made into a movie. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go give you the money to support it. You guys have bullied me into going to go see Godzilla after we wrap this up. So <laughs> I'm gonna. Go Are you see going it. today? Yeah, probably. Are you going to go? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, most likely. I, I can't hold Good. it in anymore. Um, especially all the great things. Like I'm going to go see it. You know, X was something I just saw the trailer for, and I knew I would love it. So mm-hmm. you know, it's just there's so many other things. Like even things I see get popular out in the server and stuff like that, and in the subreddit. I just don't care about and I'm not going to and then like oh, superhero movies for the most part, you know, I just wait until, you know, the Black Friday deals hit HBO Max, whatever the case may be. And then I'll watch it then, you know, I don't mm-hmm. need to go out there, spend all that time for something I know is going to be formulaic, whatever it's going to be. I won't, I'm going to go spend my time dedicated into an environment and a space for things that are going to be worth what I see as worth my time. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, it's not going to be guaranteed for me to go to that. Otherwise, I'm going to take the convenience avenue. And like I had said earlier, that's an amazing shout out to that. Like you said, um, voting with your wallet. Barbie was a huge success. We have huge mm-hmm. dedicated fans on the server um, that still talk about both of them. You know, Oppenheimer yeah. being like the biggest release of the year. Barbie, people couldn't wait for the release date to get their 4K copies. Right. Yeah. Shout out to that 4K. I don't know if you guys have it yet. That 4K looks incredible, by the way. I no, got I it. It's it on its way in. I should be getting it Tuesday. I think it's coming. Yeah, it's tomorrow a or Tuesday. Great transfer. Great sound mixing. Very well acted. Um, just you know, great for what you would think a Barbie movie would be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I kind of went into it lukewarm, kind of like Transformers. I'm a mega animated Transformers fan, and I'm not a huge fan of the films. So like when you hear something else, like Toys to Life esque, you know what I mean. Yeah, kind of cautious yeah. waters, but no, I think they took something, made it a movie about a product. You know what I mean? Instead of it being like, oh, here's the product, fight, 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 with not really much substance to it. That's not really going right. to hold up. I think mm-hmm. Barbie's going to be something that kids are going to be watching for the next few generations. Um, I don't think it's a perfect movie. I can understand why people see it as that way, but it's a phenomenal yeah. film, and I can't wait to watch Oppenheimer. I still haven't seen it. I I'm think behind. Barbie has a pretty significant. You haven't seen Oppenheimer yet. <laughs> yeah, I got to wait for that Steelbook to come in, my man. I knew you, know, you had that. You F1 all, how already. many times did you say mega during this? This <laughs> that's like the th- you said mega. You keep saying that. What's going on? I wonder where that's coming I'm, from. I'm starting yeah. to get concerned. I'm wondering probably where that's. <laughs> somebody from the Discord is probably getting me like gave me the ick with it. I was just going to say Barbie. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think Barbie's a perfect film. I liked Oppenheimer. As, technically, I think Oppenheimer was better executed, but I think, yeah. I mean, Barbie, like, there's some very emotional scenes in there. You oh, know, I think sure. it has a, a very significant message, especially the ending. Like, that really, I think that's what resonated with a lot of people is that it's, you know, it's a movie about a, a toy, you know, yeah. like, generally speaking. And, and they were able to do something much more with it and make it significant and meaningful and really tell an interesting story. So, you know, I, I think that's why it's, it caught on like it did, but mm-hmm. there's a reason why I mentioned it as opposed to Oppenheimer. Cause as much as Oppenheimer is a fantastic movie, you know, Nolan is behind it and he's kind of a household name at this point, you yeah. know? And, and again, I, I say this with utmost respect for Greta Gerwig. Like I'm aware of her films. I've seen some of the other things that she's done, but that's, she's not somebody that you mention her name and 
every average Joe is like, oh yeah, you know, Greta, big fan. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not, she <laughs> yeah. doesn't have that notoriety yet. And I'm hoping she will. And I wish her the utmost success. And I'm excited to see what else she does moving forward. But Barbie is just one of those examples with a director that isn't as well known. Um, and a cast, I mean, Margot Robbie, like she's, she's a household name. I think at this point she's yep. getting there, you know, Ryan Gosling, obviously he's been in so many things, but um, as far as like director star power, so to speak, you know, that's a movie with a lesser director, you know, becoming successful. So mm-hmm. obviously that's a fantastic thing too. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think there's, I mean, Wonka's coming out. I, I'm going to go see it. I, I just, Charlie and Chocolate Factory was at one point my favorite movie growing up. That was my favorite like, yeah. child's movie, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. or family movie growing up. And I'm just curious if it's going to be bad, it's going to be bad. But that's probably something that's going to get me to go to theaters. <laughs> he said it's going to be bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, honestly, it doesn't look good. But I mean, Timothy Chalamet is a fantastic actor. Yeah, he's a great actor. With a yeah, he's wide really good. range of emotions, you know? So. Yeah. For him to want to do that, be signed on, you know, um, I feel like there's going to be something there because there's sometimes bad trailers and I can appreciate a bad trailer because I don't watch them that much. But sometimes trailers are bad because they're hiding stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're bad because they're showing you (laughs) – hopefully not, but sometimes they're showing you the good parts and it can still be bad. The whole movie, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Um, But yeah, I'm excited for – So many trailers are guilty of that, of showing you the – like Halloween Kills. I know we keep talking about that movie, but Mm. that trailer just gave everything. Like there's a lot of trailers that have been doing that though. We need to go back to the days where trailers do just enough to entice you to to pique your curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. And and not give away the whole plot of the movie, you know. Mm-hmm. I know I keep tooting Nolan's horn, but I, I like Nolan's trailers for sure, or the the trailers yeah. they have for that because it, it's just like like when Tenet's trailer came out, you're like, what the fuck is this about? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> See well, the dude with the mask, like people were first, and you're like, what the hell's going on? And you, it doesn't yeah. describe the story at all. You're just intrigued. But it catches your attention, and it caught like you know when I saw that trailer, I was like, all right, well, let me look this up and see what the hell's going on here. I mean, it, yeah, it, it makes you want to look at them. And Nolan, I mean, he has a heavy hand in in marketing i i believe right i'm, I'm assuming yeah. he does i don't think that happens with every director which would explain why you know some movies the studios just you know do the marketing they put someone else in charge of the trailers or however that works and other other times like with nolan you you, you can tell that you know they they have a lot of influence over that kind of stuff but yeah um i don't know if we if we wanted to touch on i know chase is going to see it right now maybe <laughs> hype him up with a quick like quick take on godzilla if we have time like five minutes Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gabe, you, why don't you take off with that? I'll I'll follow up what you have to I say. I mean, not much. I mean, I, I wrote the review uh, the night of. I, I was just shocked that, at least in my opinion, looking at that movie, that it wasn't – I mean, it's it's a Godzilla movie, obviously, but at the same time, it's not. I, and I think that's why I liked it so much. Like, Godzilla, kind of like the, the title, the whole minus one thing, I think it's more really about, like, the Japanese people, like, post-World War II and mm-hmm. what they're going through to kind of rebuild and their identity and – you know, especially like the main character's identity after the war. Um, and and they focus really heavily on these characters. And Godzilla really is just kind of this force of nature that just kind of pops out. Even when you watch the movie, Chase, I think, I mean, I'm curious to see your take on it, but like there's no like buildup to Godzilla. It kind of just happens. <laughs> and you're like, oh crap, like this is like, it, it just it just happens, it's in your face. But like the 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 main story revolves around these characters and like the, their, their own personal demons that they're kind of fighting. And I think that that was interesting because I was kind of walking in just expecting like, you know, Godzilla versus the city. How, how do we stop them? Let's, you know, band together and stop them. And I thought that was going to be it. You get some of that, but I think that the, 
the reason it works is just because the, the the story is super emotional. I will not lie. I, sh- I, I shed a tear at the end of the freaking movie, which Dang. was mind boggling. Mm-hmm. And my brother was with me right next to me and he was shedding a tear too. And I'm like, holy shit, like this is crazy. Um, yeah. Super emotional movie. Um, and I think, I mean, the, my only nitpick was like, there was some moments where I felt like the editing, it just kind of cut too quickly. Like at the very end, I wish they kind of let that emotional moment kind of sink a little bit. <laughs> Um, a little bit yeah play it yeah but um other than that it's a fantastic movie special effects are amazing i i don't know if it was my theater man i was gonna ask you will the sound in that movie is freaking phenomenal like sound is not dude i hope that they make that available on oh my god dude the best best sound i i would say like best sound i've seen all year like for for a theatrical yeah, I mean, yeah, Oppenheimer was dialogue heavy, so I don't know if he, I mean, oh, but yeah, okay. I heard that. Yeah, I mean, great like sound mixing for a Nolan movie because I know some of his not not to throw a dig. But I just heard his sound mixing can be hit or miss at best sometimes. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, it's definitely you're in there, man. <laughs> He's gonna hit that <laughs> escape button. Escape. <laughs> Disagree. Um, no, I mean, Oppenheimer was great. It's it's, it's more of a dialogue heavy heavy okay, film. I think, sure. like obviously, like the the nuke scene. You know, like that's that's a great scene. Um, the yeah, music's the incredible. Is really well done. Yeah, the Trinity Test is, is like goosebumps every time i watch it man i just yep. the, the build-up is just so incredible but like in terms of sound mixing in general just like the stuff with godzilla and like the guns and the ships and just i'm like man then like when he uses his like fire breath it, the way they do it is just so impactful and kind of like what we talked about it's a 15 million dollar budget and i'm like this yeah. i'm sitting in the theater i'm like i'm like did they upgrade the sound system here or is this just the movie because it just sounds standard. so freaking yeah, I saw it standard. It no a standard elevated experience. Okay. Nothing. Okay. But I was just like looking around and I'm like, holy crap, this sound is amazing. But I mean, it, it, technically fucking high merits. The story is incredible. The characters are incredible. Um, it's honestly, I think it's, it's for sure. I got to go through my list for the year, but it's, I'm sure it's worked, it's worked its way into the top five for me of the year. Super surprised with the movie. I, I loved it. Nice. What about you, Will? Was your, I, I read your review. You liked it a lot too. I, I loved it. Yeah, I mean, I gave it four and a half stars. I mean, Letterbox review for me. I like. I try to rate movies on a technical level, and then mm-hmm. whether or not I love them or not, I just do the heart on Letterbox. You know, because yeah. people get confused with that. They're like, "Well, you you only gave it three stars, but you love it." I'm like, "Well, yeah, because I just love the movie personally, mm-hmm. but technically, like, I, I rated it how I did." But uh, and I gave it four and a half because yeah, there were some editing choices that didn't really. They just were off with me. Yeah, it's a little um, off-putting. They didn't work for me. So that's the only reason. But I mean, everything else, dude, the sound mixing is probably the, the biggest thing that I can say. That's why I can't wait. And I'm, I'm hoping they release this on 4K, like a 4K or something. And like, just because the sound mixing, I cannot wait to hear that, like, you know, with my setup. Mm-hmm. Um, top-notch. Just unbelievable job. I saw it in standard as well, just regular theater. But yeah, the acting is incredible. There's not much more I can say about the acting and the story and the character work, Gabe. I mean, you pretty much said everything um, that, you know, my thoughts align with that. I, I just think the action scenes when they happen, like when Godzilla does show up, they're so much more powerful because of the intimate story that we get in between those sequences, mm-hmm. right? And it really gives you time to kind of marinate with these characters and what they're going through. And it's just, dude, it's... It's su- it's just such a tragic story. I mean, when I knew it was going to be set in post-war Japan, it's like okay, they're yeah. they're really hearkening back to the message of the original with that. And I remember that being a very somber take on on what the Japanese people were going through. But they just make it so personal to a point where it really it really gets under your skin. And what I mean by that is it, you marinate with these characters leading up to these action sequences. 
Um, and I don't want to give too much away, but I was kind of telling you this, Chase, before we started here. Um, there, there's one scene in particular that to me is just, just really just, it just floored me was when, um, I think it's the attack in, uh, I don't know if it's Jinza. I think it's Tokyo. Mm -hmm. Um, when Godzilla shows up in Tokyo and there's an atomic breath scene that just, it is just horrifying. And it's because of the emotional built up and the emotion that you have invested with these characters and just seeing what they're going through Mm -hmm. and just how ruthless Godzilla is. You just, you just feel horrible. You just feel hard. And that a Godzilla movie has never made me feel that way. You know, I'm so used yeah. to, and I said this in my review, this is, this is far superior and, and no disrespect to, you know, the monster verse and what they're doing. Like, I think those movies have their place. You know, they're, they're fun popcorn movies. If you want to just see Godzilla and Kong, you know, duke it out like in Godzilla versus Kong or even the 2014 Godzilla, I, I really appreciate Gareth Edwards as a director. Mm-hmm. I like those movies. Those movies are very entertaining. They're fun. You know, I can throw them on like you were saying. You know, just put them on, you know, do whatever I need to do. I have them in the background. They're just fun to watch. They look great on my TV, on my on my OLED. But this movie, just in terms of the story and the character work, and, and because of that, because you have that character work and the story that it's so well executed and there's so much emotion tied into everything, the, the the big battle scenes they have that much more of an impact on you right um and for me it wasn't even like wow this is amazing to see it's like it, for me it was just god this is horrifying like you feel like one of those people trying to run and escape what you're seeing because it's it's that well done you know when godzilla shows up it's just it is he is just i said it in my review he's just merciless you know and, and there were some moments where i even like I was just amazed. I was like, I can't believe they're like showing some of this because it's it's not like hyper violent, like really brutal, but it, it's it's violent enough. It's like I'd say it's more violent than anything I've seen out of the MonsterVerse films in terms of some of the things that they show. Just the way that he tramples through the city and just was it PG thirteen or R? I don't know. That's a good I question, Gabe. I, I, I never even thought of it, to be honest. It never crossed my mind. It does push that. Like, I mean, I could see it being an R, but I could also see like, can, it definitely yeah. pushes those limits. PG-13. 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 Yeah, it definitely pushes the PG. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I said in my review, it's it's it goes to those dark places. And I don't mean that it's like super violent, like not like it's bloody or anything, but there are some scenes that are just visually, it's like, oh my God. Like, yeah. No one is safe to, too. Like that's the no scary one is part. Safe. It's like no, no one is. It, it's not like your standard of like okay, like you know mentally you're like these are the good guys. These guys are going to survive through the whole movie. It's like literally the whole time you're like, fuck. <laughs> like anyone yeah. is, is expendable here, and I yeah. think that's why you kind of on your on the edge of your seat like, dude, the whole time. That and and it kind of plays into that feeling of hopelessness that the characters have, and that's why I felt mm-hmm. so. I, I like felt so connected to them. I was like, no, I can't. I don't want. Yeah. I know what's going to happen, and I don't <laughs> want my eyes to see this because it's horrible. It's just horrifying. Yeah. It's horrifying. But I mean, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It it is very well done. The way that they were able to convey that. And yeah. that, that atomic breath scene in the city, dude, holy so hell. So dope. Where does it, um, fall? That, I, does it fall in your top five? Lord me. I, I got to remember what else I have on my list. I got to go through every movie. Yeah, I'd say it's definitely in my top five. I just, I never, I think it's part of the reason why I just never expected a Godzilla movie to be that good. I, I never <laughs> expected to be speaking about a Godzilla film in this way because of, you know, we're so used to it's what Godzilla, we've been getting. Yeah. 
yeah, you know, out of Hollywood in their recent incarnation. We kind of have we're, we're taking what we have from those films. I went into this with with a certain mindset, yeah, and that was completely shattered. So in in the best yeah. way possible. So and you didn't yeah, see Shin Godzilla, right? Because I heard good things about that one. I did. I didn't see Shin Godzilla, but I did a little research on Shin before I walked into this one. And Shin Godzilla definitely has its fans, but I I was reading that people really appreciated this one more in terms of the realism okay. and just how much farther they they took things in terms of like how, okay. in terms of how it, Godzilla scenes, they in, in terms of how it's interlaid with what's actually happening in the story. Whereas Shin Godzilla was a little more, I guess we can say elevated in terms of some of the fantastical elements to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas this one was much more grounded, which I mean, I, 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 it really resonated with me. I, I appreciate that. So yeah, definitely. I'd say, yeah, it's definitely a contender for my top five. We'll wait until we, we do that episode to see where it ends up, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely up there. Okay. And before we end up closing out, let me ask you this for the people that are, I don't know, you guys probably are going to bully some of the audience into going to go see it like you guys did me. So this one is brand new. It is completely independent. You don't need any prior knowledge. This is the first in its own standalone, right? So yes. you can this take is this the start is. of a new storyline, whatever, they're, where they're going to go with this. I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting. There is, uh, I guess, not necessarily post credit, but I mean, there's some. There's some stuff at the end that raised a few eyebrows, so we'll see where they go with it. But yeah, Yeah. I mean, definitely a movie that I would say if you want to just see something that's just unexpected. I mean, now the reviews are out, so people are kind of getting a taste that it actually is, you know, it's well made and it's getting rave reviews. But yeah, I mean, I'd say it's worth a trip to the theater if if you're willing to make that, uh, if you're willing to make that happen, definitely go check it out. Amazing. I love it. Yeah. Hey, you guys got me stoked. I think mine's at like 220. So cool. I actually bought the tickets while we were recording. So, <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, and if you guys want, go I mean, we can. I don't know. Not that we're plugging it, but maybe we can do like a post. Uh, like once you've seen it, we a can do like a review. spoiler review if we have yeah. time. Yeah. You know, sometime this week, we can all get on That'd and do cool. like a quick thirty-minute thing. That'd be cool. Yeah, I'd be down. Because I, you know, if you guys gave it four and a half, I'm gonna come in and say, man, this is the best movie I've seen since Mad Max. I think Fury Dave Road. gave it yeah. five. I gave it a five, dude. I gave it Damn, a five out of five. I mean, six. the editing, the editing was like, like to me, it was kind of that was just me nitpicking at that point. I felt like every, like the the emotional resonance just overshadowed like any small nitpicks I had with it that I just had to yep. give it a five. Like I, nice. I was gonna give it a four and a half, but I was like, fuck it, I'll give it a five. Nice. Well. I think that covers all bases for streaming to cinema to fiery, spicy iguanas. Yeah. <laughs> we did it. We covered everything. I love it. Well, as all always, everybody, I also wanted to give a very heartfelt special shout out to the entire audience. I know we do this at least every other episode, but the overwhelming support in the server, in the subreddit, everything in between to the people I meet on the streets, just wanted to give a heartfelt thank you for your support from the podcast to the YouTube channel. Everything's been growing a lot faster. You know, we've been motivated to... Mm -hmm. At first, this started out where we were only going to do it twice a month. And, you know, we just saw the support, the wants, what people wanted us to talk about and stuff like that. And, you know, it's fun for us to do this. So we like doing it every week. And hopefully we keep delivering the product that you guys like ingesting. So thank you from the bottom and top of our hearts, our entire souls. Heartfelt gratitude from us to you. Thank you, audience. Yep. Ditto. Damn, it's hard to follow that up. Man. That's why that I just said beautiful. ditto. <laughs> yeah, same. Like and subscribe, yeah, guys. Same. Like and subscribe, people. Yeah. Appreciate awesome. you guys. Take it easy. Take Later. it easy, everybody.